Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you in the room and welcome for joining online. We're looking at our series today of the last words of Jesus. And so today we're looking at uh, a couple of verses in the book of John. And so we're going to look at John chapter 19, verses 26 to 27. And so it says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, this is your son. He said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, during this really difficult time, we see most of Jesus' friends and followers kind of absent at the crucifixion scene. Most had fled or gone into hiding or had run away. And I mean, who can blame them, really? I mean, who really would want to be associated with this man, Jesus, who was hanging like a criminal on a cross? He had rocked the Roman world at that time. And so they must have been so afraid of what would happen to them because of their association with him. And so who would want to be at the wrath of the Romans and the Jewish authorities at this time? However, we see here a few key individuals who had not run away or gone into hiding, but they had chosen to follow Jesus all the way to the cross and beyond. And so we're going to look, first of all, at a verse before 25, 26 and 27. It's verse 25. And it informs us that the people standing at the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So we see that there were people at the foot of the cross and those standing or watching nearby, onlooking. And so first of all, who were these women? Throughout Jesus' ministry, as we know, Jesus had many followers other than the 12 disciples we are so familiar with. And so many women traveled with Jesus, supported his ministry, would have known him, would have perhaps been um, mothers or sisters of the disciples and followers of Jesus. They would have been women who had perhaps been healed or had a miracle done by him and seen his sort of amazing miracles in that time and witnessed his amazing teachings, which were so radical at that time. And so we see that there were many women who were like friends, associates, followers of Jesus. And so in the book of Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, it tells us and names some of these women who followed Jesus to the cross and some who watched from a distance. And they were Mary Magdalene, who Jesus, as we know, cast seven demons out of. So here is a woman who was tortured with these kind of internal things going on in her life, met Jesus, he delivers her from these things, sets her life on a new path, completely heals her, and her life is turned around, and as a result, she follows Jesus. We hear there was Salome, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, the mum of James and John, the sons of thunder. They sound like a right handful, don't they? And this was the mother who had asked Jesus that when Jesus set up his you know, heavenly kingdom, please could her son sit one on the left and one on the right of him. So she must have been a real you know, passionate woman, and I want my sons to be, you know, there with you in your new kingdom. And very ambitious lady, I'm sure. Nevertheless, she was there. We see Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and other women of Jerusalem and acquaintances of Jesus, and of course, his mother, Mary, and his mother's sister, his auntie. 
And so these women had followed and observed Jesus in his most agonizing moments. But where were all the men? Where were his closest friends and disciples? Where was Peter? Peter, that wonderful guy we so identify with in many ways. I will follow you even to prison. I will follow you even to death. But where was he right now? He was in hiding. And yes, we know the wonderful restorative story that Jesus and Peter had after this event. And but we read Jesus had already told his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 31. He said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And that was a prophecy from Zechariah hundreds of years before. And so the only one that we see at the cross was John, and we'll come to him a bit later. And so why do we primarily see the female companions of Jesus at the front and at the foot of the cross or watching nearby? Was it because, I love this question, was it because they were braver than the men? Girls, what do you think? (laughs) Stir it up a bit. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Some scholars say that the reason the women stood around and stuck around after the men had gone or fled or gone into hiding was perhaps they would not have been um, like persecuted as much, or perhaps would have gone to prison like the men, or had been punished as severely as the men, which I suppose is a perfectly reasonable explanation. But we do know from history that women were actually crucified as well in that sort of Roman time. And so there is no doubt that these women displayed great courage and strength and were devoted in their faith to Jesus. They were extremely brave. So the scene of the crucifixion was considered no place for women, obviously. Now, back in Wales, not that long ago, a decent, civilised, sort of dignified funeral or cremation service was not really the scene that a woman would go to. I can remember relatives passing away and the lady stayed at home and the men went to the scene of the burial or to the, you know, to the crematorium or whatever. And so the women would stay at home and make the tea and sandwiches <laughs> in Wales usually. And it's not until like in recent years really that women have gone to perhaps the scene of a funeral or a burial. But crucifixion was the most horrendous and gruesome scene. Back then, those women were undeterred, and they were there until the end. And so because of their love and devotion to Jesus, they had given up everything to follow him and to be associated with him. Some had supported Jesus' work through their own resources. They had gone with him and followed in the company, and so they would have grown close to Jesus, and they were there right till the very end. Such courage. And here we also see them not just at the foot of the cross, but at the tomb as well as they laid their body. Such loyalty, such love, and such commitment. And this really speaks to me about the wonderful attributes that we see displayed in these women at that time of Jesus. And for us today, that can be our takeaway not just as women, but all of us, that we can remain loyal and committed and loving in our relationship with Jesus. When the going gets tough, not to flee, 
but to remain even when we don't understand what's going on, but to keep trusting in God. Excuse me, I'll have a little drop of water. I had COVID last month, and so it's left me a bit hoarse, so I, I haven't been on the cigars. <laughs> okay, sorry. So, I don't know if anybody saw last night on BBC a programme where there were eight celebrities and Holly Willoughby and what's the comedian's name, funny guy, um, anybody see it? Lee Mack? Anyone see that? Hands up. Oh, it's worth a watch, it's quite fun. Anyway, so there was this guy called Lee, um, not Lee Hoff, Win Hoff, and he is renowned as the Iceman. And this guy, he's quite radical, and he takes these celebrities and he basically throws them in ice-cold water and makes them wear, you know, nothing on their feet, walking through snow. And his theory is that cold is good for you. It's good for your immune system. It's good for the mental sort of assertiveness. It's good for the emotional well-being and um, all this kind of thing. So these celebrities had gone on this challenge up in Italy in the sort of mountainous region where it was snow and minus six degrees and all the rest of it. And so they had to jump into this ice water and then they were warmed up and all ready to go off to their camp. And then there was a challenge before they got to their camp. It was at the foot of a mountain. And so they had to abseil down a cliff, like a really big, steep cliff. And as I was watching this, I could see these celebrities, literally, you know, confident celebrities, singers, actors, comedians, full of themselves, you know, really confident in life, or so it appears when we watch them on the screen. But here we saw their vulnerability and how scared they really were at doing some of these challenges, and it was really funny, but it was also quite encouraging. And what I noticed was they were hanging on for dear life to this kind of security rope. This was the only thing between the bottom of the mountain and them at the top of the mountain. And as they kind of went off the cliff edge, hanging on to this security rope, they were there with complete and utter trust in just that rope before they got to the bottom of the mountain. And this really challenged me because sometimes in life, we can get into situations and we really can't see what's going on. And we find it really difficult to kind of trust anything or anyone. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know what the resolution is. And sometimes we feel like our lives are like walking on that cliff edge. And as we go over that cliff edge into maybe a season of something unknown, the only thing that we have to hang on to is that security rope. And for us as believers, it's Jesus. It's the, it's the name of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. And it is our faith that secures us and keeps us sane and keeps us in step and keeps us sturdy and keeps us safe as we kind of go down that cliff edge until we get safely to the bottom or through a trial. And when I think of the, these women... This is what they displayed, was courage. They were in a season of such unknown. They did not know what was going to happen to Jesus. They did not know what was going to happen to them. They did not know what was going to happen to the disciples. Were they all going to just be dispersed? And that was the, the last three years all down the drain. No, they hang on. They were devoted and they followed Jesus to the end. And as a result of that faith and devotion and clinging on, there was great joy, and that is what we're celebrating today. And so let's let that be our takeaway from 
this this morning. That not just in our relationship with Jesus, that we remain and continue to be loyal and committed and loving, but in our relationships with one another as a church family, in our families, to our children, to our friends, that we remain and continue in loyalty, commitment, and love. Because these are also the characteristics of God. He is loyal, he is committed, and he is loving towards us. And that is why we celebrate on this Easter day God's loyalty and love because he sent, as Zoe referenced this morning, that verse, John 3, 16, that God sent his one and only son into this world to die for us, that we can be reconciled and be made right with God to have an eternity and to have the choice to choose him. And that is wonderful. God's loyalty and love are real. And because of the saving work of Jesus on that cross, when, let's face it, a host of angels could have come down and whipped him off and it could all have been over and he wouldn't have had to go through it. But he chose to go through it because he knew that it was the right thing to do and it was because we were important and worth it and loved. And so for you and me, Jesus came to this world to die for us so that we could have a relationship with God And it was through his love and loyalty and commitment to the Father that he said yes. And he saw it through because we were worth it. And I want to encourage any of us here today, whether we're here or whether we're watching online, if you are kind of questioning your self-worth today, I just want to tell you and remind you that you are worth it. And if you were the only person left on this earth, Jesus would still have come down and died for you because you are worth it. God loves you, he is loyal to you, he is committed to you, and he will never let us go. And so in Hebrews, it reminds us, and it says, because he loves you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's my favorite verse in the whole of the Bible. That just helps us when we're going through situations that we're clinging on to that kind of security rope that he will never leave us in our circumstances. We will never be alone. And so we see these women loyal and committed to the end. And as we know, that was just the beginning. And here we see them first at the tomb as well. And so we are going to read from the book of Mark, but there are four different gospels have four slightly different accounts. And so here we know that these women were the first at the scene at the tomb. And so here we can see their commitment and devotion went beyond the cross. It may be because they were just women and they were generally nosy and just wanted to be involved and there, but it was definitely because of their love and devotion to Jesus. And so here we see a few Marys. So let's untangle the order and also some others. Now the name Mary comes from the Hebrew Miriam. And Miriam was Moses' sister, and it comes from the word beloved. And it also is referenced as a word bitter because of the life in Egypt at the time was like a bitter life. And so names that come out of the word Mary are Maria, very popular in Spain and Europe and in Catholic culture. And so here we see a few Marys. We see Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary of Magdalene, Mary, the wife of Clopas, possibly Jesus' aunt, and Mary the mum of Joseph and James. And so we're going to read now Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 4. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll the stone for us? 
from the entrance of the tomb. And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very big or very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. <laughs> Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, I love that, and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And so trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. Wow, what a Sunday morning that was. I mean, we've had a Sunday morning. We might have had a lie-in. We might have been up early. We might have been seeing to things, seeing to our families. We might have had a little bit of chocolate with our coffee. Who knows? But wow, what a Sunday morning that was. They probably hadn't slept much. They were probably exhausted, terrified, confused, afraid, um, in grief, mourning. I mean, they would have gone through this whole range of emotions since laying, you know, seeing Jesus die on the cross and being laid in this tomb. So they probably would not have had much sleep. And yet it says they were there just as sun was, uh, sun was rising or just before dawn, it says somewhere else. So it was very early. They, perhaps they didn't even sleep at all. And they were probably wondering, how are we going to anoint Jesus' body after what he had been through? You know, his body, let's face it, would have been ripped to shreds. There would have been... Like, where would they have put those spices? You know, how could they put his body back together again? And the reason they went to anoint um, bodies in those days was to, like, diminish the smell of a decomposing body. It was a hot country. And so, obviously, their job was to go out of respect and love for their friend and companion to anoint his body. And then what would happen... I read it up a little bit on this. That body would then decompose, and about a year later, they'd go back for the bones, and then they'd bury the bones. Apparently, that's what happened. And so here, they didn't have to get to that bit, because when they got there, the stone was rolled away. So it is amazing. They were privileged to be the first to witness the news of this resurrection and to be given the task to go and tell all the other disciples about what had happened. And so this is so typical of Jesus, isn't it? You know, radical in his day when women were like treated as second-class citizens and it says that the um, testimony of a woman wasn't even regarded or respected or wasn't to be trusted. So here we see Jesus, God's son, risen from the dead, and the first person or the first people that know of this are women. How amazing is that? How encouraging, how so typical of Jesus, uh, especially as society treated women badly back then. And so Jesus was kind and thoughtful and generous, which leads us back to verse 26 and 27. When Jesus was in the deepest of anguish, pain and torment, he looked down from the cross and saw his mother and his friend John. And even in those horrific moments, for all of them, Jesus was concerned and made sure his mother was taken care of by someone he trusted and loved. And I think that is absolutely incredible. When you consider what was going on at that time, he was like hanging on the cross, dehydrated, half dead, scourged, you know, um, in pain. And you just think he was probably moments away from his last breath. And yet, as he looked down, the concern of the person who years before, you know, birthed him into this world. And when he was a babes in arms and his mum and Joseph went into the temple and, you know, the prophetess and the prophets saw him and said about, you know, it will cause like a pierce, a pierce, like a spear. Will, oh gosh, I've forgotten about it. 
that it would be like painful for Mary, that it would be like a sword would pierce her soul because of what Jesus would have to go through. And can you imagine like this little baby in your arms thinking, what on earth does that mean? And what on earth is that going to entail for me as his mother watching this child grow up, you know, never had to be disciplined, never had to be reprimanded because Jesus was perfect, amazing. I feel sorry for Mary having other siblings after Jesus. <laughs> you know, she probably thought we should stop at one. <laughs> but you just think, wow. And then to be, you know, stood there or, or collapsed there in a heap just looking up to see what these human beings had done to his son is just absolutely devastating. And yet, the kindness and love and concern of Jesus for his human mother, ensuring that the rest of her life was going to be spent with somebody he trusted. And John, for Jesus, even though he had other siblings, was like spiritual family. And he wanted to make sure that Mary was going to be cared for for the rest of her days in a spiritual family by a person that Jesus loved. And so, this speaks of the will of God for his church, to be a spiritual family of mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers. We all come from different family backgrounds, but one day we will all be in eternity we will be with Jesus. And all of our different personalities and experiences of sort of disappointments or dysfunction or loss and grief will all fade into insignificance because we will be in the best family anybody could dream of. There will be love, pure love, pure joy, pure acceptance, and most of all, we will be in the presence of God. But until that day, let's take away the last sayings of Jesus, which to me speaks about looking out for one another, being loyal, being loving, being committed in our relationship with God and to others, being brave and courageous, like these women who followed Jesus through his darkest hour, risking everything to remain. And as we celebrate the name of Jesus today on this Easter day, Let's remind ourselves of the transformative power of that name for our lives today, that we can be forgiven of anything and everything that is wrong or bad, that holds us kind of at arm's length before God. We can be forgiven. We can be transformed by Jesus' love. We can know healing. We can know all these wonderful gifts of heaven in our lives today. And so I'm going to ask the band to come back and sing that song, It's a Beautiful Name, or What a Beautiful Name, the Name of Jesus. And if everyone is comfortable with this, I'd like us to stand, and as we sing this song, to kind of just rededicate our lives, our passion, our fervor, our future, and our devotion into the hands of Jesus once again today for our lives. And if we're here today or listening online, and we've often wondered how Easter connects to me as a human being, this is an opportunity for you to realize that God sent Jesus for you because he loves you, that he wants a relationship with you, that you can be asking him into your life and he will come in and be faithful. So why don't we stand and we're going to sing this song and thank you to Zoe and the band.